Uh, so what's going on? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, my wife and I were a part of the team that helped start this church five years ago, and uh, we're just getting back from a sabbatical uh, a couple weeks ago. Yes. It's funny, whenever I talk to people, they say like, yo, how, how was it? And it was absolutely incredible. We spent the first four weeks in Mexico City, and if you're looking for a place to go to, Mexico City, it was, it was absolutely incredible. The vibes in Mexico City were unbeatable. Easily one of my favorite cities, top three cities on the planet, if you ask me. Um, and actually pretty funny, one of the things that I didn't expect to have as much fun doing, but probably the funnest thing we did when we were there was going to see Lucha Libre, the Mexican wrestling, and yell. Some people will say wrestling is fake, but listen, don't listen to them. It, it's pretty real. Uh, my son Jameson came with us and absolutely loved it. Uh, it was the highlight of his trip pretty easily. One of my expectations going into sabbatical was that when you remove the pressure of 50 hours a week of work or whatever uh, it is and all of the stress associated with work, that it would almost be like a perfect time. But even when you took work away, it was still a struggle. I noticed that taking work away was good and helpful and fun, but as one pastor said it, life is a struggle. It's a three-way struggle. Uh, we struggle with ourselves, we struggle with other people, and we struggle with God. One of the things I noticed about myself was that it's significantly easier to fill my day and to fill my mind with busy things to do. Because when I'm busy doing a whole bunch of things, I never have to stop and to look in the mirror. But it's actually pretty painful when you force yourself to take a really good hard look at your own spiritual journey, your own emotional health, to ask yourself that question, how am I really doing? I struggle with myself for a couple of reasons. One, I way overestimate what I could get accomplished. Uh, I brought like 13 books with me to Mexico City. <laughs> And I read two, but they were good. They were good books. One of them was a picture book, but it was all good. <laughs> and the rest of the time was spent taking naps and watching Rush Hour 2. And Rush Hour 2 is an underrated movie in the trilogy, in the trilogy of Rush Hours. <laughs> I didn't expect that much love for Rush Hour 2, but that's, that's great. Uh, the most difficult thing was that I was finally taking a hard look at my walk with Jesus. And um, one of the things that I've struggled with this entire time of being a church planter was uh, equivocating what I do with who I am. So the success of the church, the success of me as a pastor, felt like Jordan. But one of the challenges of being away was that I had no control over anything, and I had to ask myself the hard question, Jordan, is Jesus enough? Like, if all you had was Jesus, is that enough? And that was a real struggle for me to answer that question and to wade through those waters. What if you came back and everything imploded? What if they let Aswan sing some songs and nobody came back to Renaissance ever again? Would you be okay if it was just you and Jesus? Seriously. Another reason that I struggle with myself is it's just the nature of who we are as people. The Apostle Paul, a guy who wrote like half of the New Testament, he says it like this in the book of Romans, seventh chapter, he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, 
but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, there's stuff that I really want to do, and I don't do it. There's disciplines that I really want to have, and I don't keep them. There are things that I don't want to do that I end up doing, and it's the struggle with me. I grew up at Shiloh Baptist Church outside of Yonkers, and the deacons would sing, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. Uh, so many times I've told myself I would not do something, and then I did it. Uh, one of the struggles in life, and even on sabbatical, is life with small kids. And my son is a four-year-old, and anybody who's been around four-year-olds can attest that four-year-olds, let's just say it, they're jerks. All of them are. <laughs> they're cute. That's the only reason God made them cute, is to help overcome them being jerks. They're inconsiderate. Uh, they're demanding. And I love them dearly. But uh, uh, one of the things about my son, he just has so much energy and, uh, you know, so much vibrancy. And we're so grateful to God for him and for his health and his life. But, man, there'd be some times where I told myself, yo, I'm never going to, like, break my son. I want to take him close to that, but I don't want to, like, break him. And there'll be times where even with no work, with no stress from work, I would get so fed up that I would end up yelling at him and having too short of a fuse. I told myself that I wasn't going to yell and make him cry and break him down, but I end up doing it anyway. Now, there are other things about me that I don't want to do that I do that I don't want to say from stage. Uh, my guess is that you're the same way. There are stuff that you want to do that you don't do, things that you don't want to do that you do, and life is just a struggle. Now, I don't just struggle with me. I struggle with other people. Now, if you don't do what you want to do, then you know other people are going to not do what you want them to do. If you fall below your own standards, of course, other people are going to fall below your standards. Every relationship that we have with family and friends and uh, romantic relationships, every single relationship we have is marred and broken by something called sin, meaning that there's competition, disappointment, frustration in every single relationship, no matter how good it is, and life is a struggle with other people. But my biggest struggle is not just with me. It's not just with other people. My biggest struggle is with God. Number one reason is God just won't do what I want him to do. I got some really good ideas. I have some fantastic ideas about how God should govern my life in this world, but God just doesn't seem to be all that interested in my ideas. Mainly because, man, I just would love to be in control. Like, wouldn't that be great if you were just in control of your life? If you could dictate the way everything was going to happen, we doubt God's wisdom, and we want to be in control. And as a result, to live life with God whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, is a constant struggle. Now, in the struggle of life with yourself, with other people, and with God, uh, you and I have two options in the, the pursuit and the challenge of life and our struggles. The first option is you can just give up. You can give up on yourself. Maybe you're the type of Christian that there's something specifically wrong about you that you'll never, like, be mature. I know Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16 to be God with us, leading us, guiding us. And I know in Romans 8 11 it says God will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
but there's something wrong about you specifically that's different than every other person on the planet that just will never be mature and never be consistent. So you should just probably give up. Other people, definitely give up on them jokers. They, they do you wrong, cut them off right now. You've done it this week. Some of you guys have done it. We live in a cancel culture where that's an increasingly popular option. If you don't like someone in your community group, join another one. Someone is difficult, uh, don't forgive them. I don't worry about all that Christian forgiveness stuff. Find a new person to be friends with that's not going to give you any problems. And when they give you problems, then you can find a new person to be friends with and cut them off. And then you get, when they give you problems, just keep finding new people to be friends with. But don't ever worry about forgiveness or long-suffering and patience. And don't, just cross that stuff out. It's not that important. And with God, here's what you should do. You should, like, really lower your standards. So, like, don't pray unless you are, like, really in trouble and there's nothing else you can do. Like, don't pray with expectation that God is good and he loves you and he has a good plan for your life and that he's working all things out in accordance of his will for your good and his glory. Don't believe that. Just give up on all the things altogether. Now, those, those are options for our life, and obviously those are terrible options for our lives. And there's another option that I want to present to us today on how to navigate life's struggles. The struggle with yourself, the struggle with other people, and the struggle with God. It's a word that comes to us in the New Testament in the book of Acts, and it's called devotion. Uh, devotion. It comes to us in this um, uh, in Acts the second chapter, and devotion is what will help you navigate life without throwing the towel in. It will help you navigate other people without canceling them. And it will help you struggle with God without being disappointed. It's something that the earliest Christians had. Make no mistake about it. Uh, whenever you read the life of people in the Bible, they are very messy people. They're not perfect people. By devoted, I don't mean perfect. Uh, but I certainly want us to journey alongside them and to envision what life would look like for us if we lived our lives as devoted. Acts, the second chapter, it says, they devoted themselves, that phrase, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in a temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, twice in this short passage, you see one uh, phrase that I want to spend the rest of today unpacking. It's they devoted themselves. If you've been around church for a while, I'm sure you've seen that uh, scripture of Acts 2, and we've talked about it a number of times and we could go through uh, this text in a lot of different ways. But today, uh, I just want to narrow in on this one phrase. They devoted themselves. And in some ways, it's my, my goal for us today that this will be something that is said about everyone here, that we would devote ourselves to God and to God's people. We would devote ourselves to God and to God's people. Now, we're in this series called Growing Up, and we're looking at different things that will allow us to experience deep life transformation, not surface level change. Uh, there's a big difference between surface level change and deep life transformation. Surface level change are goals that you can accomplish on your own. 
In order to uh, experience deep life transformation, one of the things that's going to be required of us is that we devote ourselves. Now, before we even get to what devotion is, uh, it's essential that we see this one part of it, which is you have to do this yourself. Uh, nobody can devote you but you. Part of the first part of this is that we take ownership over our spiritual journeys, ownership over our walk with God, that we're not blaming other people for the shortcomings that we have in life, but we're taking ownership. So they devote themselves, and let me define the word devotion so we're all on the same page. Devotion means to set apart for a special use or service, to persist at, to cling to. Now, devotion implies that there are some things in life, and we see this in the New Testament community, there are some things that are coming your way that will require your persistence. They will require that you cling to it, and if you let go too soon, you will not experience what God has intended for you to experience. Now, it's really interesting. If you were to read through the New Testament, a lot of it is written by a man named Paul, and Paul writes about a half of the New Testament, and a lot of his letters and epistles are written to his friends who are going through a lot of different circumstances. There is not one time where Paul writes to his friends, and when he prays for them, he never prays for them to have a change in their circumstances. He always prays for them to have endurance, for them to have persistence, for them to cling to God and, um, as the old saints would say, God's unchanging hand as they go through what they go through. Now, for us in this room, it's not so much the difficulties of life, but the boredom of life that I want us to be devoted to, that we would persist with God and God's people, even if it's not the most exciting thing in the world, because there are some things that will only happen in your life through your devotion. If there's anything I want to be said for this community is that we have devoted ourselves to God and to God's people. Now, whenever you talk about devotion, it's an interesting concept because as soon as we start talking about it, everybody starts to think about how devoted you're not, right? You start to think about like, man, I could be like way more devoted than I am. And usually at this point of the message, people are just experiencing guilt. Is anybody experiencing some guilt? There we go. We got two, three hands. Four, four people are experiencing guilt. The rest of you guys are fully devoted and could not be more devoted. Uh, but the good news about devotion in some ways is paradoxical. Uh, I've heard one person say that to desire, if you desire to be more devoted, it is not an evidence of a lack of devotion, but on the contrary, an evidence of your devotion. Those who are the least devotional have the least desire to be more devotional. So that discomfort you feel in your heart stirring up, that's God working in you and on you uh, to produce more devotion, not because you're not devoted, but because you are already devoted. It's a sign of God's spirit working inside of you. In Philippians 2, it's a really important scripture that I've gone to a lot of different times in my own life. Philippians 2, it says, it is God who works in us to both to desire and to do his will. Philippians 2, 11 through 12, it is God working inside of you to both desire and to do his will. So the desire to be more devoted is in and of itself God working in your life for that devotion. So if you're trying to ride the guilt train, uh, get off at that stop and come with us for the rest of this journey. Now, devotion is something that is critically important to your life, uh, to devote yourself to God and to his people. If you really think about it in life, there's nobody who's ever accomplished anything of value that wasn't devoted to it. Like there's no marriages that have gone 50 years they just kind of happen to stay together happily for 50 years. 
There's nobody who's ever accomplished something great in your specific field or in the arts or in sports or in anything without devotion. There's no saint of God that has followed Jesus that has navigated the hills and the valleys of what it means to follow God without this concept of devotion. And earliest, as the earliest community we see forming in the book of Acts, so the Acts is a, a description of what Christianity was in its earliest form. And what we see, one ingredient we see about this group of men and women was that they were devoted. Now, that being said, devotion has its fair share of obstacles, things that will get in your way of um, being devoted. And man, one of the, the biggest culprits of devotion, I think, is our culture, which tells us that we should avoid discomfort at all costs. If it's not comfortable, now you need to get up out of there. Your job isn't the greatest, find a new one. I think it's a very American thing, first and foremost. I don't think people in third world countries experience this as much. But to live in America, uh, to live in New York City where we have the world at our fingertips, we have bought into this notion that we should avoid discomfort at all costs. But what if the magic happens through the discomfort? Years ago, I was playing basketball with my brother, and you know, he was, I saw him running, and then I heard a pop, and I knew it was something bad, and he went down holding his knee, and went to the doctor a couple of days later, and they realized he tore his ACL. And he was in a little bit of pain, but the real pain kicked in after he had that surgery. Anybody who had an ACL surgery, plug your ears right now. Um, they had to like drill into his knee so they can reattach the ligaments, and drilling into bone can't be fun. And the next day, 24 hours after the surgery, I'll never forget the physical therapist came with this big, huge machine meant to uh, start to move his knee back and forth. You would think that after someone has had a major surgery, like they let you chill a little bit. Like give them like a week or something, bro. Like you're going super hard, super fast. You're way too thirsty, bro. I don't know why you're, you're doing all of this. But really, if he wanted to regain motion and regain strength, he needed to push through the discomfort, not allow the discomfort to keep him from doing what was necessary to be done. So through the moans, through the pain, I watched him as he sat there and let his knee be bent back and forth because the real magic happens, not avoiding the discomfort, but through the discomfort. Too many Christians have already predetermined the, the amount of discomfort that they are willing to experience, and that is robbing you of what God wants to do in your life. Too many people have set up uh, almost an inflatable uh, barrier that protects them from all things that could bring them any discomfort. And man, the magic happens through the discomfort. Now, I do want to give a caveat to say that there are limits, right? When we talk about not giving up on God and God's people, there are boundaries you do need, right? Like you do need boundaries with people. I'm, I'm not saying to not have boundaries. Uh, there was a limit to how much the physical therapist was going to do with my brother. Like he didn't just grab him the first day and say, all right, we're doing a hill toe. Come on, up, hill toe. <laughs> That was a very popular dance in the 90s. Kalila, if you, if you went to the club and hit the heel toe, it was, yo. If you went to the skate key and did that, you were the man. So he did have a limitation on how much he made my brother do. He was just trying to bend his knee a little bit. He wasn't trying to make him, you know, run a 50-yard dash the first day. There, do, there, is, there are limitations to how much discomfort God wants you to experience while you're still being uh, devoted to him. But I've just seen so many people give up on, on prayer, I've seen so many people give up on reading scripture just because it wasn't comfortable. 
they read it and it just didn't provide them this amazing experience. So they said, ah, it's not really that worth it. It's like boring. I got to like really study and do all these other different things. I don't feel like doing all of that. You know, I'll just, you know, wait till Sunday comes around to get another good word. And we miss out on so much that God wants for us to have because we're just not devoted, partially because we are avoiding discomfort at all costs. Uh, another reason why we struggle with um, uh, being devoted to anything is because it, it, it is kind of painful to be devoted to something. One of the things that I found in a lot of community groups is that there's so many people who avoid discomfort and avoid the pain that the entire community group is spent like on this level. So nobody ever gets vulnerable. We read the scripture and what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I've heard the theologian George St. Lattimore who said, <laughs> and they, the entire group for nine weeks, you sit next to somebody for nine weeks, you don't know nothing what's going on in their life. Prayer requests, yeah, my uncle, you know what I'm saying? My uncle, he's really struggling. That's as far as they'll get to themselves. They'll never talk about their struggles with faith. They'll never talk about what they're currently experiencing in life. And then at the end of those groups, those same people say like, yeah, I don't know. Community group wasn't really all of that. I can tell you within 20 minutes of any conversation, I've been in community groups for a decade. The lack of vulnerability in any group is a recipe for the most boring, untransformational group on the planet. Ain't nobody going to change. Because y'all are being fake. Nobody's actually given to the real deal of the issues of life. It's uncomfortable to be vulnerable. And again, I'm not saying when you sign up for community groups, week one, to lie about the grenade. I'm not saying to do that. <laughs> but I am saying that there is something that God wants to do in your life. If you, if you commit yourself, if you devote yourself to God and God's people more than your reputation, more than your comfort and what God can do with that. Listen, we have no idea what God can do with a devoted people. Now, another reason we struggle with devotion is that uh, in some ways, I think as a culture, we fear better options coming along, right? So we don't want to commit to one thing because we think that we'll be happier if we just kind of keep our options open so we can let things come to us. Uh, in his book called The Paradox of Choice, author Barry Schwartz talks about how the more options we keep open will actually make you less happy. Last year, the New York Times wrote a, an article where they did an experiment about the fallacy of choice. And they brought a group of women into a nail salon and they put 100 colors on the wall for a free manicure. And they said, choose any color you want and get a free manicure by professional manicurists. And they all got the manicures and they asked them in front of the 100 colors on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with the color that you've chosen? Everybody gave fives and sixes. I don't know, maybe a five, maybe a six. They did the same thing with a different group of women, but instead of 100 colors, they gave them five colors to choose from. And in front of those five colors, they said, on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with the color you have chosen? Everybody gave nines and tens. They changed nothing other than eliminating choice. You and I think that more choice is gonna make us happy, but it actually makes us miserable. It makes us unsatisfied with everything. Let me hop on a high horse for one quick second and pick on some of the fellows in here, especially uh, the guys in here who say you follow Jesus. Man, way too many dudes just want to keep their options open. So your date, you got to have a roster. You got to have five, five different joints to choose from just in case, because God forbid you miss out on Beyonce with a PhD who makes food like your grandmother.
And what you do is you actually miss out on the beauty which is right in front of you. Real talk. The best thing you can do in your dating life is to date one woman at a time and to allow the beauty of what is standing in front of you to unfold. There's going to be challenges, of course, as well, but you'll never discover all the beauty. Thinking more options will make you happier, will actually make you more miserable with every option presented in front of you. So more options won't make us happy. So more options will not make us happy. <laughs> and this one is for the Christians in the room. Um, devotion in a lot of ways means a loss of freedom. If you ever like look at someone who's really devoted to something, like I read an article about Misty Taylor and being the first uh, black ballerina to, to lead her dance company and so many amazing accomplishments. And if you look at the life of any amazing athlete like Michael Jordan, the second best basketball player, whenever you see their life, what you see is, <laughs> you see their devotion and they've lost so much freedom. Like there's so much that they could never do because of what their devotion was. So to be devoted to something means a loss of your freedom. It means that there's some things that you just can't do and you're doing it voluntarily. This, would, this is actually critical and central to what Christianity is, uh, is a loss of freedom voluntarily. Here's what Jesus tells us in Luke 9. If anyone wants to follow after me, Anyone, anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny him or herself, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Jesus gives a radical invitation to everybody, everybody, anybody, please come and follow me. But if you're going to come, pick up your cross and follow me. Where do people carry crosses to be crucified? A.W. Tozer is an author, and he writes about the marks of a Christian who is carrying their cross. And he says there are, are three distinctive marks for every Christian who bears their cross, who takes up their cross daily to follow Jesus. They are facing only one direction. They can't turn back, and they no longer have plans of their own. You know why it's so hard to pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, your kingdom done, your, your kingdom come? Because it means you're laying down your freedom. To pray that line, God, not my will, but your will be done, it's saying, God, I don't, I'm giving up voluntarily my freedom for how my life should look. And I'm going to allow you and trust you that you're good and that you're uh, capable of making something beautiful out of my life, even if I can't see it. Too often, we're trying to maintain our devotion, but we don't want to give up our freedom. Jesus invites us to him, and he is good, and he is gracious, and he's better than we could ever imagine, but he might not do things the way that we think. It should be done. That being said, devotion is still one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. Uh, when I first became a minister, I was a part of a church, and uh, it really kind of broke my faith in Christian community, to be perfectly honest. The pastor was a wild dude, man. That's the only way to say it. Uh, the dude was like a married man hitting on women in a church. Um, he took an offering that was meant to like buy a new building, and the dude bought a Mercedes with it. Like, for real, like two weeks later, parked in the pastor's spot, a new Mercedes, and it was absurd. After that happened, I was like, yo, this, I was like, I was really in. I was like, yo, this, you know, I want to be in ministry. And after that, I was like, ah, I don't know. So much so that um, in seminary, they were asking us to work at churches. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to work at a church. 
I'm gonna work at a prison because I don't think I ever really wanna be a part of the local church in any significant capacity because I was so disappointed that I, I think in some ways I was afraid of being disappointed again. And some of you guys had that story. Um, that's why you come in late and leave really early because, and that's not even me, that's not no shade, I feel you. I've done the same thing for years because you just experienced some really corrupt stuff and you're like, I just don't bang with church like that. And I, and I feel you. When I got to do prison ministry, uh, I met someone who would later inspire my life in ways that I had never imagined. And it wasn't through his gifting. It was through his devotion. There was a guy named Brother Al, and Brother Al had been teaching Bible study in Sing Sing Prison for 20 years. And every Thursday, you could set your watch to when Brother Al would arrive. And for 20 years straight, he would be there 50 or 51 times a year. Every Thursday, he was there. One of the Thursdays he would miss was Thanksgiving because they wouldn't let him in the building. Uh, he passed away a couple years ago, and at his funeral, they had garbage bags, garbage bags, like 10 big, huge black garbage bags lined up of letters of all the people whose lives he touched because of his devotion. You never know what God can do through a devoted people. You never know what God can do through your life if you devote yourself to God and to God's people. Don't give up when things are a little uncomfortable. It's funny, being in, uh, doing uh, prison ministry is not the most comfortable thing on the, on the planet. And some of the stories he had told me over the decades would have made a lot of people run away, but he didn't, he stayed. In a lot of, reason, in a lot of ways, the reason we're here today is because of Brother Al. Uh, he uh, re-inspired me, he inspired me to believe again in the beauty of Christian community and what God can do through a devoted person. God wants to use our devotion for something bigger than us. Now, having said all of that, uh, I want to give a couple of brief caveats about devotion, and then we're going to get to some practical stuff on how we're going to implement it in this community. Uh, here's something I, I've noticed about our devotion, is that it's very easily interrupted. Have you ever noticed that in your life, you've devoted yourself to do something Sunday at 11 o'clock in church, and Monday at 7.30 a.m., you didn't get to p.m., uh, that devotion had already been distracted. It's because there are spiritual forces at work right now trying to distract you. You don't have to believe in the devil for the devil to be active, um, trying to disrupt you and to distort your, your devotion. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, it says, um, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is Paul saying here? In the same way that our earliest parents were deceived and led astray from God and God's will, you and I both, uh, our devotion could be led away. Because right now, there are active forces. There is an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. The easiest bait is the one that doesn't see him coming. And secondly, uh, something I know to be true about devotion. So not only is it easily interrupted, but man, it's not fueled by emotional highs. I've had emotional highs in churches and worship nights and prayer services that I thought were going to carry me months, and they lasted like two hours. The nature of devotion, of persisting at something, of clinging to something, is never fed or fueled by emotional highs. Praise God for powerful community groups. Praise God for powerful worship services. Praise God for powerful sermons. But that's not going to actually keep your devotion. Uh, there's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 where he talks about something called the parable of the four soils. Four soils represent different types of hearts. 
Now, the heart that will actually grow is the good soil. Uh, the first soil, though, is a soil that was just really hard. And when the farmer sowed the seed, which was God's word, on the hard soil, nothing happened because the, the seed never made its way down to the soil. The second ground was, a, was rocky ground. And the seed went inside, and it grew a little bit. But then because it had shallow roots, it stopped growing. The third ground was a, a, a ground that had deeper roots, but there were all these weeds and stuff competing with the, the plant so that even though it grew up, it, it died because the weeds were taking all of the nutrients from the plant. Now, the second ground that Jesus talks about here is one that the scripture says in Matthew 13 and 20, it says, and the one sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Like, yo, they hype. Like, yo, this is amazing. This was incredible. But he has no root. And it's short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they fall away. They get something and they're really excited. It's an emotional high and it feels amazing. It feels incredible, but then they fall away. Now, I've had this happen to me and I've seen it happen to a lot of other people. Devotion, to be uh, devoted to God and to God's people is not fueled by emotional highs. One of the biggest challenges we have with people is, and I've, we've had this, I remember, the first year we did community groups, we had someone who signed up and went, and like after the first week, it was like their group was a Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, they emailed me and said like, yeah, it was, it was just all right. I'm, I think I want a different group. I was like, you were there for, for one night, and now you want to change completely? And that same person actually ended up staying and really thriving in that group. But they were looking for this emotional high. They were looking to, to see someone and say, yo, real recognize real, and dog, you look familiar. <laughs> They were looking for our best friend. They were looking for something amazing to happen, for the ceiling to open and for the Holy Spirit to descend on them and didn't happen. And what were they looking for? An emotional high. So many people stopped reading scripture because they read it and they didn't get taken to the mountaintop of some amazing experience. So they say, I just don't know how good it is. And I want us to reevaluate our motives when we're approaching scripture and we're approaching a community that we're not looking for an emotional high, but we're rather looking to seeking to devote ourselves to it. Uh, thirdly, it takes a community to maintain your devotion. It takes community to maintain your devotion. I'm not strong enough to maintain my devotion by myself, and neither are you. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says it like this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Uh, you might have heard that scripture at a wedding talking about the three-strand three cord, uh, but this is specifically about being a part of God's people. There's been so many days where I just didn't feel like I had a lot of affection or warmth in my own heart, and it's been a brother or a sister in Christ who has helped me to warm my heart to ignite me, to remind me of what I was devoted to in the first place. I feel bad for people who are on their own. Pity the one who falls down and there's no one to help them up. So number three, uh, it takes community to maintain your devotion. And number four, man, only the gospel could really produce real devotion in your life. So what I'm asking you to do today is to not will yourself to having more devotion. Devotion happens when something captures your attention something more beautiful and more profound than you have currently in your life. And that thing 
becomes more beautiful and bigger to you than what you're currently doing and experiencing in your life. And if you're waiting for the willpower internally to be more devoted, good luck. Only the gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, can actually maintain a devotion. And here's what actually warms my heart and makes me devoted to Christ. Not because I'm devoted in and of myself, but because Christ was devoted to me. Scripture tells in, in the book of John and in all of the Gospels of a Jesus that has come down from eternity, entered into our humanity, gave up all his rights and privileges to go to the cross for you and I and our sins. That's how devoted Jesus was to us, that nothing, not even the mockery of the crown of thorns, not even the cross standing for him on the hill of Golgotha, nothing will stop his devotion for you. And that Jesus who's devoted to us asks for our devotion because he has given us his all. He has exchanged places with us. Now, theologians call this the great exchange. Uh, one of the things about life and about uh, traveling a little bit to speak is that, man, I've gotten a little medallion status on Delta. Praise God for that. You know what I'm saying? And it's not, it ain't platinum, Achilles. It's not, it's light though. It's, I got silver though. You know what I'm saying? I keep it clean though. I keep it clean. And um, a lot of times what happens on a flight is that Depending on the route, I'll get, a, I'll get a free upgrade. And that's great, you know, when I can leave the regular people and coach and go to where, <laughs> to where God has determined I should be in first class. <laughs> For free, too. Uh, and that's normally amazing when I'm flying by myself and I get uh, a notification that I got to upgrade. That's incredible. But it does present a problem when I'm traveling with my wife. And I get the upgrade, praise God, but she doesn't get the upgrade. And I have a choice. I can sit in first class by myself and leave my wife and kids and coach. Or if I want to remain married, I can, I can switch with her, give her the first class ticket and let her sit in first class. Yes, don't clap because I just do that because I'm afraid of her. It's not, it's not altruistic. It's not because I'm a nice guy. I'm afraid. That's what it is. In Philippians, when the Bible describes what Jesus has done, it says that Jesus has a status of divinity. Jesus doesn't lose his divinity when he enters into our humanity, but he willfully gives it up so that you and I can experience a life that we would not have on our own. In Philippians 2, this is the, the exchange that we, we see happening. It says, Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Jesus laid down his life so that you and I could have life. Jesus, sweating tears of blood, uh, sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, let nothing dissuade him from purchasing us back to make us right with God. And he didn't do it because he was afraid. He did it because he loved you. The Bible tells us that uh, in, in, in Romans 5, a scripture we talk about pretty often here, that a lot of people would die for a righteous person, right? A lot of people would die for someone that's good, but nobody would die for a sinner. And while we were still sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. That's love. We can devote ourselves to God only because God has devoted himself to us. And if you lose sight of Christ and his devotion to you. There's one scripture that says that Christ right now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. God has never uh, 
given up on us, and he won't give up because you're not as devoted as you want to be. Keeping a firm grasp on God and, and, and Christ and his devotion for you will allow us to be devoted to him and to his people. It will allow us to not cancel people when they mess up because we'll know we're experiencing a grace and forgiveness of the one who has given up his all for us and still calls us his own, who knows us fully and loves us fully. So what, I, what, I, what do I want us to do with this? Uh, I want us to be devoted to God and to his people, and that's going to happen in a number of ways. In two weeks, uh, we're starting a new series on the book of John, and we're going to spend a pretty long time in the book of John. And I want us all to be on the same page. And I want us to spend this next month reading through the book of John, a chapter a day, uh, Monday to Friday, one chapter, spend some time and letting it really soak in to what you're doing um, on a daily basis. Here's what I know to be true. What gets scheduled gets done. What gets scheduled gets done. Don't wait for the emotional flurries to happen to motivate you to read a chapter a day of John. Don't wait to feel the warm and fuzzies to, to, to prompt you to want to get up earlier. Don't do that. Schedule it. Uh, the war for your devotion is oftentimes one on your calendar. So we're going to read through the book of John together as a community, and I really want you to spend some time really digging through all of the nuggets out of it. Uh, it's a gold mine of what God could do in our, in our, in our life. Uh, secondly, I want us to commit to real vulnerable community. So if you've already signed up for community group, great, but I want you to go in vulnerably. Like, don't, don't start talking up here about, you know, some theories you've heard or uh, but I want you to enter yourself and to be really vulnerable. And here's a real thing about community groups. We have a lot of people who have signed up, and we have a very few amount of leaders. Very few people have devoted themselves to actually lead a group, and it's a stretch. It's uncomfortable to really lead a group, if we're, if we're being honest. But we're going to need more people to lead groups um, in order for us to accommodate the people that we want to see uh, be in a group to experience real life change here at Renaissance. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to lead a group. I want you to consider it. If your life is really messy right now or if you're newer to the faith, maybe it's not the best thing for you. Maybe you, you should probably join one before you, um, before you lead one. But if you've been in a group for a couple of years, this is your invitation to help lead one or host one. So you can see Lester at the info desk after service uh, or you can put on a connection card and drop it off that you're in interested in, in leading a group. The last thing I want us to think about is to devote yourself to the, the regular rhythms of why we do Sunday gatherings. Now, our mission at Renaissance is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to each other. One of the ways that we do that is through Sunday services. Uh, and one of the things I didn't anticipate as we grew as a church was that the bigger the church grew, like the less people were engaged. It was something that was like pretty surprising. Early on, we had like 100 people and like 90 of them volunteered. You can multiply that number however many times, and then every time it gets bigger, people just assume that everyone else has it and has it covered. We have a lot of amazing people who are really giving themselves up and really pushing themselves. And my fear, y'all, please hear this, y'all. My fear is that we would burn out good people because we had too many um, bystanders looking on. After service, we've even incentivized it with a Levain cookie that you can go to the cafeteria to sign up to serve as a volunteer in one of our crews. And here's who I really want to come to, to volunteer. The people who have signed up and, and didn't actually do anything with their sign up. And this is, no, this is definitely no condemnation, so please don't hear this as guilt. I get it. You committed to something for a second and then something happened and you didn't actually make your way through to actually volunteering. Uh, if you signed up for something, didn't answer the emails, or something happened, 
it's all good. Or if you signed up for one crew and you actually want to be on a different crew, all good. We would want you to come to the cafeteria to re-sign up and to commit and to see what uh, God can do through you and your devotion uh, to this church. So let me pray for us. God, our gracious Father, uh, you know exactly where we stand. You know all the things we have going on in our mind. And you are here. God, you don't run away from us. You're not ashamed of us. You're not embarrassed by us. You're not frustrated with us. You tell us to come. So God, we want to come to you with our hearts, and we want to be more devoted people. We want to cling to you more. We want to persist at the things that will actually bring us life change. Uh, give us the Holy Spirit to move us in the direction of more devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.